one. Cake and tea. Didn't you hear? She said she'd closed. What do you want in here? Cake. What's it got to do with you? I happen to be the proprietor. Now, would you leave? Ah, I'm glad you're the proprietor. I was going to have to have a word with you anyway. We're working on a film up here. Location, see. We might want to do a film in here. You're drunk. Just bring out the pipe. Cake and fine wine. If you don't leave, we'll call the police. Balls. We want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here and we want them now. Hello again and welcome to what may possibly be the last episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die. Discuss it analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. With us in spirit, as always, is Ian Woodington, and I am I'm quite thrilled to have the guest that we have today. Um, you may have heard her voice on our Dark Knight episode, and you definitely have heard her alluded to throughout the entire run of our series multiple times, and my guest today is Liz Woodington. Liz, how are you doing? Doing okay. How are you? Um, well, I got to be honest, Liz. It's been a hell of a 24 hours in just sort of um, knowing that this was coming up today. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, full disclosure to those listening, we are both drinking. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, you know, this is my second, but, you know. I'll catch up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, uh, we are here to discuss, uh, with nail and I, which, um, was Ian's favorite film. Um, and, uh, a little like insider baseball. Um, when I decided to do this run of movies, I tried to go from like memory of things that he said I should watch. And then like other, I kind of assembled these and I could have picked any number of movies. Quite honestly, I picked seven cause it got us to 130 total episodes like that that's a nice round number why not and I had guests lined up for every episode but this one and I was like you know what I'll just do this as a solo pod and like I shit you not like the next day Liz like texted me and asked me if this was one of the ones I was going to do and if so you'd like to be the guest which I thought was just very serendipitous because I had not planned on having a guest and um I could not have picked a better guest to be on this episode so i want to thank you for for coming here to to talk about this movie um we'll we'll do we'll do all the the standard things that we do on on the episode here um but i just wanted to i don't even know if this is the right thing but give you a platform um to talk about not, not. I don't want to say just your and Ian's relationship because it's so hard to just like, hey, sum this up in a few minutes. But um, what it was about your relationship in relation to to movies and 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 how that sort of was was intertwined with your relationship. Um. <clears throat> so Ian and I met at work, and um, I can't tell you what our first conversation was about, but I I guarantee you it was probably movies, <laughs> um, and within the first like 
six months of him working with me, um, he had completely taken over my Netflix DVD queue. <laughs> I just need to solidify that that's what it was um, at the time. Um, everything that was suggested to me had piled up at one point i think i let him just log on and queue things up because i was so <laughs> tired of trying to remember the movies um and um and when he found out that i hadn't seen with nail and i he had a conniption <laughs> to say the least he lent me his personal copy um at the time um and i think what was great is because when he started talking about movies, I had come from a place where I was watching a ton of movies. Like, um, throughout my senior year, I moved to Kansas stupidly and I worked right next door to a video rental place. So Mm -hmm. every day when I get off work, I would go and grab a movie and bring it home. And soon enough, you run out of the new watches and you start like digging through stuff. And that just kind of, um, continued into my early twenties because the person I was with and living with at the time worked nights so I would spend almost all my nights alone so I would just sit there and watch film after film after film after film yeah um and so yeah that's how um kind of our friendship and relationship started I remember one point um I had pointed out the emperor from Bertolucci and the last emperor the last emperor sorry and um and I pointed it out and he the way his face looked, he's like, you like Bertolucci? And it was like, I think I want to toot my own horn, but I, the fact that I even knew who that was and, um, that I enjoyed that very long movie. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of how it started. And it was, the rest is, uh, it's history. It's history. Um, yeah. And it was great. You know, and and I, this seems more just like full circle, but yeah. So and and you know, Ian and I met in high school and met over film, um, and it's funny because I I so I I I I associate Ian more with high school than I do with like post high school, but I the other day I sent you a Facebook memory photo of him at our our apartment in Bellingham. Um, <laughs> playing Guitar Hero, uh, which what we did. And I need everyone the- to know he could never play past medium. <laughs> Couldn't hit that orange button for the life of him. <laughs> um, and then, you know, as time does, you know, we drifted apart. Only, I mean, we, mo- we moved states and, um, and I was busy with grad school and was just so happy to reconnect with him when we moved back um, and reconnect with him and reconnect with you. And, or not reconnect, but we got to meet you and then we became, you know, we got together as often as we did. And, you know, the only, the only uh, negative isn't the right word, but thing I would say was like, it just, I, you know, knowing now where we are, I just wish we would have done it more. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, and yeah, so, you know, we miss him and we're going to talk about his favorite movie today. Yes, we are. Is what we're going to do. We're going to get through it. Um, Okay. Uh, So we, we always come with recommends. And, and Liz, I'd love to know what your recommend is today. Okay. <clears throat> I originally wanted to recommend a newer film, but I'm all about comfort films right now. So I went to one of my top five, and I'm not ashamed to say that. It's a pirate radio here in the U.S. It's The Boat That Rocked um, in the U.K. I Watch the U.K. version if you can. It There's about 15 minutes missing. Oh, okay. The scenes are cut weird. The um, 
when I watch the U.S. version, because I watched the U.K. version first, it genuinely bothers me. <laughs> I did watch the U.S. version this time just because I <clears throat> couldn't be bothered to go get the DVD off the shelf and figure out how to work the region-free Blu-ray player, which is the bane of my existence right now. It's not as easy <clears throat> as they make. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this movie has um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Bill Nye. Oh, Oh man, I used to know more of it. So and I, so I I will say uh, first and foremost that this is a movie that I haven't seen, but I know of it. And okay, yeah, it's re- I'm, I'm I meant to make I a list. Seen it? Uh, it's got it's a star-studded cast, and it just kind of drifted under the radar for some reason. It's it's chocked full of people, and I'm blanking on so many names right now because that that was not my job. <laughs> <laughs> This has come up time and time and again. This was not my part of the deal. Um, okay, so uh, and yeah, I've, and I, I remember too. It, I think part of the reason why it went on, under the radar was because of the um, the the switch in title. Um, but so, and it's coming from Richard Curtis too, who people will know from writing for Weddings and Funeral and Love Actually and other films like that. Um, other people in the the cast, uh, Nick Frost. Thank you. That's the it. one I was struggling with. And I would say those it's those three who are probably the the bigger named people in the. Oh, Kenneth Branagh is in it apparently, and Chris O'Dowd. Yes, oh, Chris yeah. O'Dowd. There Sorry, it is. there we go. There no, we go. Yeah. Anyways, it's got a cast. The soundtrack is phenomenal. It's basically if you haven't heard of it or seen it, it's uh, one of the pirate radio stations that was stationed off the England coast way back in the '60s before. Um, rock was really accepted or, or, um, mainstream. Yeah. And, um, it just, it tells the story of this younger lad that comes to stay on the boat because his mother thinks it's a good idea for him to, um, stay there to straighten up because he's gotten expelled from school from smoking and drugs and drinking. (laughs) And, um, so he goes and stays with his, uh, great, uh, his godfather, excuse me, played by Bill Nye. Um, and he, um, proceeds to just create relationships with these people. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman is one of my favorite actors of all time I as mean, well. Yeah. Um, this movie has become an insane comfort for me. It's funny. Um, and I just think it, I think it's incredibly underrated. Like I feel like if more people had seen it, it would have gotten more recognition for what it did. And at the end of it, they just go as you know, the boat sinks. Sorry, spoiler. The boat sinks. <laughs> no, no I, you had, You've had more than 10 years to see this film Fair. at this point. Yep. Um, and um, and at the end of the credits, it's, you know, it talks about how rock is now played on thousands of stations across the world all day, every day. And how as for rock and roll, it's been a pretty great, you know, 50 years yeah. since then. And it is just it's just a phenomenal. I still get goosebumps. Just the record drops in it, the the humor in it. Thick Kevin. And I can't remember who he's played with. There's a certain point where they're playing charades and they're like, be careful when you're playing with Kevin. Um, he's a little aloof and he's gets a cue card and it's man in a man in a dress. Nice guy. Excuse me. It's nice guy. And then it's really nice guy. And then it's, he wears a dress and they guess someone goes, it's not Jesus, is it? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, why don't you just say it was the son of God? He goes, is he? <laughs> like, there's just those little moments in this film that just, I just love. And so, yeah, that's my recommend. Check it out. I get the boat that rock, though. Please, okay. please don't just watch the the U.S. version. It's garbage. Well, I this is a movie that I, I 
when it came out, I was aware of it and just, yeah, as you said, kind of went under the radar and, and Ian has mentioned it before. I mean, he's mentioned it a few times. Um, well, good, great. That a reason enough to watch it. Perfect. Um, so I, I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted my recommend to be for this episode. I watched a movie that he likes the other night and I did not. So I didn't want to use that. I was like, I would just be faking it here and I don't want to do that. Um, so instead, I kind of tormented myself and I, cause I rewatched with Nail last night. And then after that, I, uh, only for the second time, I, I, I rewatched um, Life Itself, which is the documentary about Roger Ebert. Um, and it sort of chronicles, you know, how he came to be uh, a film critic and um, his battle with his, his, the, the jaw cancer that he had. And uh, he, I mean, it wasn't jaw cancer, but the cancer he had in his mouth and he has a jaw removed and sort of dealing with that. But it also is, you, you can't help for the movie to go and talk about Siskel and Ebert. Um, and, uh, I, I, I recommend this movie because it's just, if you know film at all and grew up kind of when we did like two thumbs up Siskel and Ebert, like that was the way you knew about a movie. Um, and Ian and I were absolutely those two guys in high school, just like the, the movie guys. And that's what we did. Um, and you know, I think for me, it, it's, it's, it's a good documentary and, and, and I think it, it shines a light a, a lot on, on somebody who I think was just most known for being a movie guy. Um, and there was so much more to him than that. And the, some of the parallels that, that was, I was drawing from the doc and from not just my relationship with Ian, but just Ian in general and film connecting people. And um, I don't know, it, it was, it was exactly what I needed to watch but also kind of left me um, in, a, in a puddle <laughs> downstairs by myself oh, last yeah. night. Um, but uh, I, I recommend it as documentaries go, and I recommend it because um, I think it's, it's enlightening. And, um, and it's also just fun to see, you know, the, the rise and fall of Siskel and Ebert. Like, they started, they really did not get along as, as human beings. And yeah. over the decades really grew to to be very fond of each other and um yeah I, I i don't have much more to say than that just that it's a it's it's a very compelling documentary about this person but also just it hit home it hit it hit where it needed to last night so that's great yeah i need to check that out i think we watched it a while ago yeah but i to be honest probably wasn't i just knew them as like the old two guys two yeah. thumbs up like that was a big deal yep you know i just assumed that they were just best friends oh yeah and no. then i watched the yeah. documentary and i was like oh what? yeah yeah rival newspapers yeah not cordial at the beginning <laughs> um yeah yeah um okay so there you go so so pirate rate no the boat that rocked yeah not pirate radio same movie. <laughs> I know, I know, but AKA but, yes, <laughs> and uh, and and life itself. Those are our recommends um, this week. So uh, we are talking about with Nail and I. Now this comes from this is written and directed by Bruce Robinson. Um, what a what an interesting guy he oh. seems to be. <laughs> uh, so I have the arrow, yeah, criterion, yeah, and. Um, 
I watched, so the BBC Four, I guess, back in like 1999, yep. put out this like little, they had a Withnail weekend. Mm-hmm. Like that's how big, this is like got a cult The cult following, yes. yes. I'm sure we'll get into that. But they did a documentary on him and it's the longest one of the four. It, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> and first off, I don't think him and Richard E. Grant get along. That was the, I didn't look into that. I didn't go any further, but I just watched that one and the one before. Yes. And he is just something. Robertson is uh, his character. Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, and 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 we you know we can spend a little bit of time on him. I I, I thought it was so. I mean, obviously, well, and not, I shouldn't say obviously because I'm very new to this movie. I've now seen it twice in the last week, and that's that's all I've ever seen it. Um, apparently, uh, the Withnell character is based on somebody that he knew by the name of uh, Vivian McCarroll, and that was sort of the inspiration for that. I loved um in the documentary before that where he said he was uh that the Vivian in real life he was a a jack of all master of none, which I thought was a really a really interesting way to f- talk about a human being. Yeah. Um which I thought and I think for the Withnell character makes a lot of sense. Um and that essentially Bruce was the inspiration he kind of wrote himself into as the Marwood or the and I yeah. character. Um but when he was talking about being in um Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet and essentially feeling like he was being constantly come on to. Um, and then that coming into play in this uh, movie as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's it's terrible that, again, like this was back in the 60s and that this is still, a th- or 70s, um, this is still a thing that's happening now. Predatory behavior from people in charge. Um, but the way of finding that into... Um, into the the movie, I, I thought was interesting. I I took it personally, so uh, we'll, we'll get into this when we talk about the movie. The 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 acting of it all, the fact that these these carrot these main with Nell and I are actors in this. Yeah. But then Bruce one boy says he can't stand plays, and like my heart hurt a little bit because a this is you've written your characters as actors, and b that's just that's like my life. So I yeah. just like, I, I I was I was like almost Slight. like personally offended. Yeah. Um. But I mean, you know, Bruce Robinson won an Oscar for writing *The Killing Fields*, which I had every intention of watching this week. But I, time is what it is. Um, so this guy who's writing kind of conventional screenplays at the top of his career, this comes off to be a cult hit. His next film, um, *How to Succeed in Advertising*, was kind of a flop, also with Richard E. Grant. Mm-hmm. And then it's like it's like I, I don't know what happened specifically, but. Um, where his where his uh his career goes after that is like just down like this just was the downward trajectory this was the apex of his career and and then it just goes down i recently melissa and i were going through and watching trailers from like the late 90s of movies i was just going like we were kind of doing like research for below freezing right and i go oh i heard of this movie called in dreams so we watched the trailer for it and i was like Oh man, it was like this does not look good, and it's like this, you know, this is written by him and directed by Neil Jordan, who did The Crying Game and Mona Lisa and all these other really prestige movies. I'm like, wow, that looks terrible. It's one of those movies where like, what happened? Because clearly the people making it are good, but yeah, I I don't know. Bad combo. (laughs) Yeah, apparently. Um, But Bruce Robinson, what a just an interesting figure. 
human being. Um, he yeah. is just something else. I just can't. You know, it's fresh on the brain. And I look at him and I, I, when you watch this, you know, whatever it is, 30, 40 minute blip on him mm -hmm. from way back when he, he talks about how Marward or I, as he's referred to, he, he wrote a lot about himself, but I'm, I look at him in that documentary and I'm like, you're also got a bit of with nail in you as, oh, as well. Like, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He, he bases it off this vib, which, you know, the writing is dedicated to vib. Um, but it's almost like he started off as Marwood and now he's transcended almost into the with nail character. I mean, during this whole documentary, he's smoking up a chain storm. Well, he's got like ashes on his, his table. He's drinking red wine. I don't even know. If oh, he, he talks about waking up. And at having yeah, and having red and wine, and he kind of just brushes it off. Yeah, and it and it's funny, and I think it's that that description, the the jack of all, master of none. I also think this. I don't. I don't. I can. I don't know Bruce Robertson. I, I I have not seen enough of his stuff to make a a real um concrete observation. But I wonder if this kind of fall from grace has sort of shifted him into this Withnell character because because the Withnell character in the movie. He's constantly talking about how he's going to be a star of a trained actor. And like, he's got all these big lofty dreams and yet he's doing nothing about it. Not except for bitching to, to Marwood and, and whoever his agent is on the phone. And I, I think actually, I think you've nailed it. I think that Bruce Robinson has become the Withnell character, this sort of guy who's been shafted, like who feels like he's been shafted by the business and is like on the outskirts of it. Yeah, his blip about like I hate writing. You know, it's like I, I put all these put six months worth of work into this, and then it just gets torn to shreds, and it's just it's very yeah on point. Watching him type was infuriating. I was like, how do you be a writer and you still type with two fingers? I, I, I was like, dude, you, you need to learn how to type. That's why it took you six months. <laughs> Just saying. Um, so I'm, I, there's no way he's not coming back up, but I figured, so, so he wrote and directed this. Um, you know what? This is a, this is a really small cast. So I, I really only, I only have the, what I would call the four main characters here. Um, Obviously, we have Richard E. Grant as Withnail and Paul McGann as I or Marwood. Um, and then I have Richard Griffiths as Monty or yes. Montague H. Withnail, um, who if you don't, if you haven't seen this or don't know, he's Dursley from Harry Potter. Um, and Ralph Brown as Danny. Now, I, I, I was debating on whether or not I was going to do this, but I'm absolutely going to do this. So... The movie's going, and we meet him fairly early on, and he goes away for a while and then comes back. Mm -hmm. He came on, and I lit up because I knew him from something instantly. And that thing that I knew him from was Wayne's World 2. Ironically, I never clocked him in Wayne's World 2 until after <laughs> I'd seen With Nail. Okay, so so this is this was the thing that I wasn't sure that I was gonna do, and now I'm now I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. Okay, okay. just just indulge me for like forty five seconds. <clears throat> so there I am in Sri Lanka, formerly Ceylon, at three o'clock in the morning, looking for one thousand brown M and M's to fill a brandy glass, or Aussie wouldn't go on stage that night. So. Jeff bit his head round the door and mentions there's a little sweet shop on the edge of town. So we go and. 
it's closed. So there's me and Keith Moon and David Crosby breaking into this little sweet shop. Well, instead of a guard dog, they've got this bloody great big Bengal tiger. Well, I happen to take care of the tiger with a can of mice. But the shop owner and his son, that's a whole different story altogether. I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. Nasty business, really. But sure enough, I got the M&Ms and Ozzy went on stage and had a great show. When he, when, that's his like, and he repeats that monologue in Wade's World twice. It's, it's money. It's one of those random monologues from the early 90s that like I am fascinated with. And when he when he comes on screen and he's just talking about like don't the 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 aerials and stuff, I'm like, I'm like, dude, you, I don't know him from anything else besides these two movies, and I just naturally I'm like, you are just this person. And then you see him in the documentary; he's bald, he's well spoken. I'm like, whoa, who are you? Who are you, Ralph Brown? So I loved it. he he based the um, voice. I think it's the same voice he uses in Wayne's World 2. It's slightly different. Yeah, it has different, to be. <laughs> but it's off of some makeup lady. Yes. Uh, that he met at Pinewood Studios. Yep. That would do that. And, 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 and he couldn't stand Yes. That, <laughs> that she was so thick. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so, so what a, what a, so yeah, I mean, those are our, our, our four main people. I mean, there are other people in the movie, but they, everybody else is in it for such a, fleeting moment i didn't necessarily feel like calling anybody out by name but those are our four main performers and even then really it's richard e grant and paul mcgann those are those are the actors in this movie um it will surprise maybe no one to find out that bruce robinson is not in the book for any other movie at all um which is which is what it is so when the movie came out initially um the only accolade i could find from its initial like run was that it won the evening standard British film award for best screenplay when it came out. However, in like the decades since, I, and I've just got a handful of these um, in 2017 um, time out uh, ranked this as the 15th best British film ever. Um, uh, Richard E. Grant's line. Um, we want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here. We want them now apparently was voted as the, um, the third favorite one liner in a 2003 poll um in 2001 with now and i was the third uh was ranked number 38 in channel four's 100 greatest films of all time um and i and i'll talk a little bit about this review um in a sec here and uh because I, I i pulled roger ebert's um uh great films review um uh it's not on the imdb top 250 um it's got a 94 percent critical and uh, audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, so kind of beloved by by most. Um, I think the reason, I, I and I, I'm so glad I watched the, the, the Ebert documentary last night again, because I didn't know that Ebert himself had dealt with alcoholism in his, in his youth mm. um, and gave up drinking, I want to say sometime in 1979 and um, uh, was sober until the day that he, he, he died. Um, but in the in the in the first part of his review, he talks about how in his drinking days he would go to this one place and and would and would drink and would sort of hold court and would say all this stuff. And he says, I relate this story to explain why I identify with Withnell and I, which conveys the experience of being drunk so well that the only way I could improve upon it would be to stand behind you and hammer your head with two pound bags of frozen peas. Um 
he talks, he says that Richard E. Grant was a tour de force and that basically we will never not know him for anything, but for playing with nail, which obviously he's done other things, but I think, I mean, how can this you is not notorious? It was his first big role. And yeah. Um, but his, his review ends with this. He goes, why does the film, which I've made sound so depressing, remain so popular after more than 20 years? It achieves a kind of transcendence in its gloom. It is uncompromisingly sincere itself. It is not a lesson or a lecture. It is funny, but in a consistent way that it earns and it is unforgettably acted. Bruce Robinson saw such times, survived them, and remembers them, not with bitterness, but with fidelity. And with Nell, he creates one of the iconic figures in modern film. Most of us may have known someone like Withnell. It is likely that Withnell never knew someone like us. His mind was elsewhere, which I just liked how that was written. That's great. Um, so, uh, Liz, do you like lists? I love lists. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I love lists as well. I love lists. I love lamp. Um, and it's, it's fun. And saying I love lamp is, is very applicable to this list, which I think might have been on a previous episode. And I think I know which one, but, um, so I pulled Time Out London in 2011, did the top, actually top 100 comedies of all time. Now we're not going to talk about all of those cause we have other things to do, but I pulled the top 10. And I'd love to just hear your quick, maybe your quick thoughts on some of these that are on the list. Okay. Uh, number 10, The Jerk. Nope. Not, nope, haven't seen her. Nope, like no way. Like don't. Nah. No? Nah. I was, we watched it about a year ago and I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. I really was. Didn't like it. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Send me to sleep. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, number nine is what I would call a very classic choice. Um, Some Like It Hot. Okay kind of a standard, you know, survive the test of time, Billy Wilder. Um, number eight, Groundhog Day. Fair. Yeah. Did you see Palm Springs? What? Did you see Palm Springs? No. No, you didn't see Palm Springs? Wait. The Andy Samberg one? Oh, I did. did you? Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, it wouldn't make the, this was came out way after, but I, I like the riff on it and I, yeah, that was fun Bill Murray, you can't. I can't of go course wrong. not. Uh, number seven, and the reason this list is even we're talking about it, is with Nail and I. Perfect. Made the top ten. Number seven I think there it should be number two, but that's fine. Number, number six, and the reason the list thing was great is Anchorman is uh, listed on this, that which is, is amazing, which touches me so much. That's I just great. Um, uh, we're gonna repeat this thing here. Number five is Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Okay. It's number five. Number four, and this is the one I most am not cool with for multiple reasons is Annie Hall. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Well, that I'm, now, now I'm pissed off at this list. And now I'm curious because this, this was 2011 and this is when Midnight in Paris came out. And this was sort of that, that brief resurgence of Woody Allen. He won mm -hmm. the Oscar for the screenplay again. Um, I, I, I think they do this list today. Annie Hall is not even on the top hundred. I don't understand how that's there. I, I just, I'm not a big fan of it. No, it's yeah. not. No. Uh, number three, I get to say Monty Python again, but this time for Life of Brian. And I think this list might have been on the uh, the Life of Brian episode. I'm not positive, but um, number two, uh, which I, I, I'm pretty sure Ian was not a fan of this movie, Airplane. Terrible movie. I don't think he was a big fan of the Zucker Zucker and Abram stuff. Oh. We did the Naked Gutty. He was not a fan of that. Also terrible. Oh, really? 
That's great. I love this it. This is why we were married. There you go. There it is. Um, and number one, another film that Ian, I wouldn't say he hated, but I know he didn't like it a lot, uh, is This is Spinal Tap. Okay. Well, I, I'm i just going to grab him. He was wrong. I feel like maybe one more watch. <laughs> you know, just. I am. Um, and I wouldn't say that I love this is Spinal Tap, but I certainly, I certainly enjoy. It. I really like the. I don't think you should Gass be number stuff. one on that list. What's number? What's number one? If you don't. For me. Yeah. Oh, it has to be the Holy Grail. Okay. I mean, I'm. We. I, that's where. Yeah. And, but I also like what I told Ian though is I, I I guarantee if I had seen Life of Brian first, it probably would be my preferred of the Monty Python. But I didn't. I saw Holy Grail first. And it just, it, it lives up higher. That was an argument we had just constantly. I, he was like, yeah. Brian, Holy Grail. I saw Holy Grail first. Yeah. I just. And that's important. Like that's like when you see a movie is pivotal to your opinion on something. And it can be really hard to be like, I mean, I, I think Life of Brian is a smarter movie. I think it's, I think the way that it, it attack maybe is the right word, but, but comes at religion is very smart. I love it a lot, but I can't. I, Holy Grail is just like in my blood. Yeah, 100%. it's in, like in my DNA. Agree with you there. Um, and that's you know that's really all I have in terms of the the all the opening stuff that we do. Um, so in terms of plot, boy, there's not a lot of one in here. It's really we 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 meet them. Um, they are going through various rounds of being on and off drugs and various bouts of um withdrawals and 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 things. Um, uh, Marwood decides that what they need is to get out of the city and to go to the country. And the only way to do that is to go to Withnell's uncle, Uncle Monty, and get access to his cabin out in somewhere outside of Penrith, <laughs> which is a city I now know of because of this movie. Um, and uh, they go to the country and essentially try to uh, clear their heads, get some space before coming back. Um, various shenanigans ensue while they're there, and we'll talk about those. And um, ultimately, they come back to the city, and Marwood has a job. And I think is sort of realizing that life with Withnail is going to hinder him from wanting to continue to be an actor, and, and they part ways. And uh, the movie ends with Withnail giving uh, one of the, one of the famer, more famous speeches from Hamlet what? to a couple of wolves at the London Zoo and he, he walks away in the rain and credits roll. Um, so I, I have to imagine that you've seen this movie a way more than I have. At least 20 times. There you go. Um, Bare minimum. Uh, yeah. Probably and, more. And so I'm, I'm like, what are your, you know, what were your initial thoughts? And like, and I guess I'm, I'm wondering like, how did your appreciation for the film kind of grow over time. Oh, uh, I don't know. I, first off, when this film started, the first time I watched, it, I remember putting it in and that saxophone starts playing. And I was like, what did he recommend to me now? What is this? Yeah. Cause I mean, some of the things I was like, it feels like a different, I'm going to watch this cause top. I think you're really cute, but <laughs> I, I'm not gonna like it. I'll just pretend. Um, but this one, it starts off and I, it's so great. I couldn't not like it. I, I remember the first time I watched it, it, the credits ran, I instantly just restarted it again. And I watched it, 
I think I extended the Netflix rental nice. I had on it. No, no, no. I was borrowing his copy and I didn't give it back for like two weeks. He was getting a little concerned. Sure. Fair enough. I finally bought my own copy. Um, <laughs> a little bit after that. But um, the, the Ian quoted this film so much. Like it was almost daily. And I'm at least once a week. It would happen. It's hard not to. And it's so quotable. And and like as in so many moments. Well, and it's it's funny. I so the fir- I the first time I watched it was also on on Ian's birthday, and I'm taking notes. And I I I fucking hate taking notes on a first watch. I I hate it because I'm not. I know I'm missing stuff, and which is why I watched it again last night. Um, but like I was I was typing so much. Because I felt like every couple of minutes, there was something that was said that I thought was very clever or funny. I mean, I think the first one that might be the most, um, not obvious, but like the, you know, my my thumbs have gone weird, um, is is one that really like stood out (laughs) very early. But even before that, they're they're walking up the stairs and and what now is like, we've just went out of wine. Now, what are we going to do about it? And like, cause that's like at that moment, that's the biggest concern to him is, well, I've- yeah, that's, I love that. I love that. You know, you, this film starts and, and you hear that saxophone and then you, it slowly zooms in on Paul McGann's face and you can see like the exhaustion, the tiredness, the existential dread. Yes. He's borderline on an anxiety attack. He puts the kettle on in the background of the kettle going on. He's, he, you can see there's like a roll of toilet paper just on the table, half collapsed. And, and then he leaves while the kettle's going, knocks on the door. I'm going to go get some tea, goes down to the shop. He mummers some stuff, watches some lady grab that egg sandwich oh, that just drooped. And you can just tell Jesus. that's the end of it for him. <sighs> and then he comes home. And, and when Withnell comes up and, and, you know, talks about how you're out of wine, he clearly Marwood is having an anxiety panic attack, but like, Withnell completely ignores it, continues to talk about the the steroid. Uh, it's escaping yes. me at the moment. The guy, the the shop putter or something, right? Like Who's... they're in two different realities <laughs> and it doesn't come together until Marwood gets the coffee and puts it in a bowl. And then suddenly they're like in the same room together, even it... though they've been in the same room together, they're not in the same room together up until that point. They're, yeah. they're having two different conversations. He's like, I don't feel well. And he's like, that's what you would say, you know? And, and it's just, it's great. Um, and, and, and one of the other things I, I like, I, I clicked with almost instantly, like, like the, the conversations that, that they have in that first scene, I also understood immediately why Ian liked train spotting so much. This idea of these, these, these friends in various forms of, of being on or off something and like, you know, train spotting has very little plot either. And it really is about watching these people live their lives. And, and, and I, I'll use this word, like what's important to them? Because at the moment, like those things are the most important, you know, like with nail, not having any more wine, that is the most important thing at that moment. Um, and I'm so glad you mentioned that, like the toilet paper, because the, um, the set design, and I want to just uh, say his name. It's uh, Michael Pickwode, the production designer. Like, there are, I mean, it's it's great because there are 
not, I don't say obvious, but things that work really well for it. Like all the pictures, like there's like Chaplin on the wall and old black and white photos of movies and they're actors. Of course, there's going to be that kind of stuff. And like, and I, you, it's, it's too blurry on the movie, but like, I, I can tell by the, the thickness of some of the things on the shelves. I know those are plays. I know that from just personal experience. I know that though, that's what that is. And the, the world of the apartment is so specific to these two people. Um, and again, I think that is a lot of, um, Bruce Robinson and his friends who went to the, um, the center for speech and drama in, in London, which is, which I know of by name, but is a huge deal. Like if you, that's where you're going to get your, your acting degree in, in the UK, that's a great place to go. And I could just see these people, these actors, just like who knows how far they are out of school and like still wanting to cling to, I'm a trained actor, but like, what was the last thing I did? And that world of the apartment is just wonderful. You know, the whole bit about the cigar commercial. That's what I want to know. What happened to my cigar commercial? And it's the, the kitchen scene is probably one of my favorite things about this. I love a lot of scenes, but the, the leave it, we'll, we'll go get it in the, we'll go at it together in the morning. And, and, the, oh, I, you know, I brought this. I'm going to have to bear with me here. Oh, no I worries. don't want to misquote things because that's one way to get yourself. I, uh, I, I mean, and I love like, you know, they're so concerned about what's in there. What, and I think it's um, with no goes, what have you found? And Marwood goes matter. And like, just like that word takes on such resonance. Right. right. And the, um, the gloves bit. That's the oh, thing. Like, God, yes. Don't attempt anything without the gloves. And that is become... That was a common line in our house. and The entire sink's gone rotten. The, the entire sink's gone rotten. <laughs> Think something's alive. It's just... And the, the steam from the kettle that somehow still yeah. is just filled. And it's just... And it's so gross. Oh, it, it's terrible. It's And, the fa- and then, like, the, the, the sausages he brings home and he just throws it in the toilet. Oh, and God. it's just... Oh, it's great, though. It's a kind of closeness... That, you know, that, you know, I've, I've lived with Melissa since I was basically 19 years old. And, and like for one year we had a roommate back in like, like Jesus decades ago now, it seems like, but like, I don't, I don't know what it is to live with somebody that I wasn't like with in a relationship. So like this, what I found so interesting throughout the movie, even though it is a comedy and there are very funny bits in it is what is keeping these two people together? And, and I don't know that I have a solid answer to that, except for there's got to be something about with Nail, his sort of postulatizing of like, you know, listen, listen to me. And, and you know, I, when he's putting all the stuff on him and like, you know, I'm a trained actor reduced and it's um, to the status of a bum. It's 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 so great. But it's like there's this um, I'm going to totally nerd out for a second. Uh, there's this uh, theater maker. Uh, he's not alive anymore, but his name is Jersey Kratovsky. And his whole thing was like, you know, what makes theater theater is you have to have an actor and you have to have a spectator. And that it's not theater if you don't have, a spectator could be one person, but before it to be theater, you need a spectator or you're not, or it's not, you're not doing it. And I think for Withnail, he's got his audience. His audience is Marwood. And because Marwood's there, he hasn't yet, um, failed. He hasn't. Um, uh, he hasn't had his moment that Monty talks about, where he realizes he's not going to play the Dane, right? Yeah. And and as an actor, that's like fuck. That's tough because there's a moment where 
you know, I, I know, I know older actors who it's like, you know, they try and try and try. And it's like, I've now realized that I'm going to be doing like small local things because my time is gone. But for, for with nail, he hasn't had to do that because he's had his audience. He's had his constant captured. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's, uh, I know I'm, I'm jumping, sorry, I'm jumping right to the end of it. But when he gives that final Hamlet speech, I like, I don't need anybody to tell me otherwise. Like that is his acceptance that like this acting thing for me is over. I don't have an audience. Marwood's gone. He's clearly got a path that I don't got to let it go. And that, that was like, I always like, whether it's a movie or a TV show, I, I always love comedies that can still like, like pull this right hook. You didn't see coming of like, Oh, Oh, there's some emotion in this thing. Yeah. And it really hit hard. I thought that was the way they built to that was, I thought was phenomenal. Yeah. Everything from the, the cut to where you see him with, you know, you see Marwood with his new haircut. Yes. And he's cleaned up and the room is packed up and he puts those two books in his bed. One of them's Charles Dickinson. I don't know what the other one is. Um, and everything from that to, I don't, you know, let's have, you know, you know, with nails, just like grabbing at straws. Like I stole this bottle from Monty's yeah. and it's great and it's vintage and let's enjoy. And he's like, I don't have time. I got to go to the, I got to get to the train station. He's like, well then I'll walk with you. And then they get like not even halfway through the park and yeah. they're right at the same spot where they were the very beginning of the movie. And they're just, that moment is like, it, it still hurts, breaks my heart. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's the, you know, it's, I don't think the movie is even trying to, to necessarily hit that so hard, but like this idea of accepting your fate, of accepting like where you are in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, it, it's funny because this is also the same movie where, you know, 40 minutes before we're in the the middle of the country in England and, and you know, with Nels coming out with plastic bags tied around his feet so that he has something to walk in. And, you know, all of these, this, I mean, well, I, well, we'll come back to sort of the big, the big theme there, but like the the humor in here is all over the place because there's a lot of sight gags, there's a lot of just witty stuff, and and like usually I feel like comedies kind of tend to rely on one or the other, but this has got a a fair amount of both. It it's got it's just the perfect combination, like everything from like the the first bit of dialogue to like the very end you're either getting visually stimulated by a sight gag or a line that's come out like i love the the bit in the bar yes. after they leave you know like even the bit when he's rubbing all the what we would call icy hot yeah um he he like he's like there's nothing left in the tube and he's like used it all over and then he flings the cigarette across the living room god i'm like where does that go um and <laughs> You know, they go to the bar and, and it, oh, or the, the, the lighter fluid. Oh, yeah. Which I, I'm going to just bring this up because there's been multiple rumors, but I, apparently it was vinegar. Yeah. They that's... switched it out for vinegar. The puking was fake. People like to allude that the puking was real. It was not. Yeah. Um, But like the perfume and then the big burly guy comes up and he goes, what's Punks. your name, my fuck? And it's just like. I called him a punts. And how like he just instantly backs down and whatever my friend did, I didn't, I, I oh. have nothing to do with it. I have a child. I've got a family. Yes. And, and that's what I like. That moment is, is a great, a great 
moment where both those things are happening. And like, and I actually, I wrote down this too, that the, the, I'm happy accidents are the best. And the, the piece of pie stuck in, in Richard yes. e. Grant's face that his smile looks so crazy. Cause it's just stuck there. And I just, and before that, he's just like, who the fuck? What fucker said that? I did. I called him a punt. And like just the sheer look of terror on his face. I, I, I have a heart condition. And then he goes, my wife is having a baby. And the look of betrayal on Marwood's face is just like, uh, like, like, it's just, the timing is, is so, oh, it's so good. Yeah. It, um, and, and then, and then, and then that's basically when we get to meet Danny, um, in this scene, it's so funny, like it, well, and I, I should say too, the, so, so, um, the correlation between this movie and life of Brian is that it's also from handmade films, which is, uh, the production company that George Harrison is a part of mm-hmm. and his, and I want to get the name right here, his producing partner, whose name was, uh, Dennis O'Brien. There it is. Um, Dennis O'Brien did not think the film was funny. And like, it was very, this movie was really close to being taken from Bruce Robinson. Um, who I, and actually, this is actually something I appreciate. On the first day of filming, he told the crew, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yes. We're going to make mistakes. That's going to happen. Um, and that there's a sense of humility there that I really appreciate. Just being open about like, we're going to, we're going to figure this out together. Um, and that like, Dennis O'Brien thought like all, all comedy should be brightly lit and that this was just not funny. I know it was um, like day two or three that they were like trying to cut it yeah. and just get rid. And I'm like, I can't imagine a world without this movie for well, me. And that was like, when I learned that, I was like, oh, like came that close to not happening. Well, and it's it's so funny because I'm coming off of the, the Blade Runner episode and also an episode that we recorded for Below Freezing on Event Horizon. And while those movies are drastically different than this one, these are both instances where very early on the the producers were wanted to take away the power from from the people who were making it. And there's a very similar thing here. And it's like you you saw the script. Like like you knew what this was gonna be. Like he he filmed what he wrote. Like I in like I just I just I, I'm always so fascinated by this, like, oh, it needs to be this, it needs to be that. You're not the vision isn't what we thought it was gonna be. And I how, like how do you know that like how would you even know that um obviously glad it, it all it you know came about yes in in the right way um danny yes let's talk about danny i love they love the intro where this is we're going backwards to where all good you know marwood's in the bath shaving you know you have a dialogue over and then and then Whitnell just barges in there's no knocking no he hands him a sausage and fries yeah while he's shaving stick it in the soap tray and save it for later because Marwood doesn't want his sausage he's like by the way Danny's here he's like why is Danny here like the look of fear that comes over his face and so like when you first watch this movie for the first time you're like what's this person yeah what why is Danny a bad thing and then well and it's it's funny because like I I, I don't know. I wonder where we were back then with like drugs and stuff. Cause I feel like the idea of a drug dealer, despite what they might look like was had this like, Ooh, like, Oh, this is going to be a really terrible person. And really it's just this guy who has these very interesting ideas, you know, about the, the aerials and about making a doll that's going to shit itself because the doll that pisses itself is such a, like a, a bestseller I or whatever. That. Um, and what the I love the um on the street like the 
the pill he brings out, he calls it the embalmer. Straight. And like, the yeah. embalmer. <laughs> yeah, that was, this drug has voodoo qualities. Like, I love, I love Danny. He's not my favorite character. Uh, I like him more when he pops back up. I don't like this first interaction with Danny. It's, well, it's weird. It's weird. And you're just like, you're here. And then he's like, do you have any shoes? Yeah. Well, and I, I, it's mentioned like, I think, I think Wood knows that he's here. He's missing a clog. And it's like, and it's one of those things that like, it could, they could have easily left it alone because there's a lot of stuff that just gets mentioned and never kind of comes back. But like before he leaves to ask if you have shoes, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. He's, he's, he's missing a clog. He doesn't have shoes. Um, it's just a, it's kind of just a great thing to bring back before they they leave him alone for like fifty minutes or whatever it is. Um, and then we meet Monty. I have to say something. Yeah, there's little details in this film that I picked up this time around that I did not catch the first time, and one of them is is the parking job when they arrive at Monty's, you know how like you're supposed to parallel park. Yeah. No, they just pull in. Yeah. They're not even trying. There was no trying. And that is, that happens multiple times throughout this film where they have parked this car. Oh, like yes. even like, it, like at the, the cabin, it's arrived, just, yes. it's just in the gate. It's, it's not it's even terrible. It's terrible. And I love that those little, there's little tiny things that I picked up that, and that's just one of them. Like I, the way that they park, you don't, I didn't even notice it the first time. And I'm yeah. like, Oh my God. So yeah, we now we meet Monty. Um, Monty, well, excuse me. It's so. It, well, I mean, just seeing Richard Griffiths, which I I I thought when I found this out, I thought it was great. He was only thirty nine. Yeah, and he looks like he's in his fifties. Easily, it, it's and it's not just his his size. It's just his his the, the hair, hair, the his whole demeanor. It's like yeah, he. My favorite thing about Monty's house, and I'm sorry. No, And this, please. I think a lot of people won't notice the first time around, is you're so preoccupied with with the character that you're kind of listening to him, but you're not really listening to him. And if you look around his living room and yeah. that sitting room, mm-hmm. those aren't flowers. He alludes to the one. Oh. He alludes to just the cauliflower in the center. Yeah. But if you take a cold hard look there's lettuce yes there's carrots there's chive growing in the background there's aloe vera growing and then as they're leaving you can also pass some red peppers like his obsession with vegetables is almost like i love vegetables so much that you know like it like how a rose um what did he say that a cauliflower is more beautiful than a rose and flowers are prostitutes prostitutes for the bees bees. (laughs) and it's so good because he's such a like you know he indulges in sweets and candies and all this stuff and and it's like it's almost like that is him saying Nick no I'm healthy and I love yeah. I love healthy things I, that's well, what I pick up from it's, it it's that and it's 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 this but it, well it's like everything is it's a veneer right so we've got like the all the vegetables as if it's covering up the fact that he so doesn't good. and like the I. I appreciate I would like I appreciate a young carrot or like a something about like and it's very clear like and I don't want to make any kind of like you know he's he's definitely stereotypically kind of approaching the idea of playing a homosexual but like all of the double entendres about carrots and and the the very sexual glances he's giving Marwood and are, that's what I think is great is because back in these days like yeah. that was so frowned about we were just coming especially in the uk like you're just coming out of an era where that was like 
illegal. Yeah. And so this is where he has grown up. And so of course you're going to have these allusions to it. You're going to, you're going to make references to a, a young firm carrot, yeah. you know, and, and, and I think it's great. I, he nailed it. it the cat thing kills me. The, oh. We have to leave because of the cat. I, 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 I mean, I, I had cats growing up. I mean, I say I had my, my parents did, but his, it seems like he's only ever completely frustrated with the cat. Like to mm-hmm. to the extent of like, if I could grab this cat, it would be dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's just so it's the extremes are so huge. But he keeps it around because he's lonely. Yeah. Well, and yes, and I think that's very clear that he he's desperate for for people mm-hmm. for something. Um, even if it's I, you know, part of me wonders too, and I don't think there's I don't know if there's anything obvious in the script, but. If Monty even knows that Withnail is not the the thespian that he claims to be, I I don't think he cares. Yeah, that, yeah. I think he wants to believe that because then at least like he has someone who's successful that he's related to that he can tote along with. But I also think he he doesn't even if he did know the truth, he probably wouldn't acknowledge it. Yeah, that's what I got. Yeah, yeah. And I love you know, and, and there's a lot of like acting lines that get said here and and there's it um with now says that monty used to be an actor and says it's true i crept the boards in my youth which is great i just nobody calls them the boards anymore the, the stage and i just like hearing that made me very sentimental for the fact that that's what we used to call it but yeah he says i, I will never play the dame and when that when that moment comes one's ambition ceases and like i didn't know at first i heard the line and as an actor myself i'm like that that's a like when you realize you're not going to play the role that you thought you would, that's a real like life changing moment, not realizing that it was a great plant for what was going to happen later in the movie. Um, but I, but yeah. And that's why I feel like this for me, this movie is unique because I think it's a funny movie and very like a cult classic, but also like all of the, when they reference the acting stuff, I'm like, it for me, it pulls me a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Which I just, I appreciate I love it. I mean, I, I did acting in high school. I haven't done any since, but just hearing those certain, like the Dane thing, like yeah. that's like, you know, those are things you just, yeah, you know, you want to play the Dane. You want to play Hamlet. Everybody wants to play Hamlet. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love it. I, it's, and the dramatics of it are just yeah. so classic and it's so, well, and then I don't know if I forget if it's before or after this, but when, um, when when with now it's like I don't want to I'm not going to understudy Constantine and Constantine is one of the main roles in the seagull and the seagulls check off and again like if you're a theater person you would know you this would pick these things and up. if you don't you just he just doesn't want to be an understudy but like it's great and then of course I'm also like I'm like I, I I'd be like I don't want to fucking understudy just give me the role because and I get that part of it too like no I don't want to understudy why can't I, I play the, the role up in case yeah. she has a cold <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I love the um the Jimi Hendrix cuts. Okay, I have that written down right here. It is one of my favorite bits in the whole that wrecking ball hitting right as as all along the watchtower like yes. hits. I know See, Ian used this word excessively, but it's a damn good needle drop, and it is one of my favorites of all time. And the and the glasses flipping down and them driving, and and then it just goes into the scabbers. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that was great too. I love English slang is so much cooler than ours. I have I, I have such a hard time not using it, and I feel like a phony using it. But then I'm like, did I get marital rights? You did to it. Listen, like, I'm not British, but you you had to. I, you had to. You I get pay, it. I say it all the time. But sometimes, proxy. yeah, I use words that my friends don't understand or they don't like or or, or that are offensive. You know or, what? They're just tossers. That's what they are. That's exactly what they that's are. That's what it is. Yes. Um. My, actually, of the two, the um, the uh, um, is it Voodoo Child is the second one? Yeah. I, that's when when he goes when he goes when when Mar like he's in the back of the car. He's like, what he's like, I'm making good time, and he slams on the gas and the the and the volume comes up on i'm standing next to him i was like that was mine i love when like it becomes this like with nell's gotten this like confidence he hasn't had in a while and just like floors the car i think between the two i like that one but both needle drops in this are great i thought they worked perfectly and i also will say i i did read that this is one of the films i don't know if it's the exact film but one of the films that caused the hendrix family to regain control yeah. of all of his his music cuz they they were really tired of it being associated with drugs yeah. and 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 that kind of debauchery yeah which okay well and it's it's tough because it's all i mean it's it's a drug movie but it's also a movie set in 1969 so it's also really kind of applicable for the time. So it's tough because you don't want the you don't want the the image of of your loved ones associated in that way. But it's also like maybe these guys would have been listening to Jimi Hendrix in 1969. I mean, who who knows? It's so good. It's so good. So I you know question. <laughs> have you have you ever thought about just withholding a lot of uh, kid urine in the chance that you might be able to offload it to people for? for passing breathalyzer tests. Or Are you asking me this because you're a father and it never occurred to you that you could sell it? I, you know, here's the thing. I, when I was 17 years old, I had a very bad influence neighbor who lived by me. And, um, he, he, cause oh, is such a, I'm not, I gotta give the short version. He had access to some, uh, some prescription medication. And, uh, I don't know what I did. I think I did something to help him out. So he gave me like 10 uh, Percocet, or Oxycontin or whatever it was. I don't remember. And I was like, what am I going <laughs> to like? What am I going to do with these? Like you sell them. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And he was like, I asked, what do you think I could get for them? I'm like, you probably get $20 a pill for them. And so I sold them to football players because they, they wanted them. I sold though. I made two, wait, what is the math there? 200 bucks, 20 times 10 without like, <laughs> I was like, sure. There they go. Um, so I, I will say that my drug dealing days ended back in high school. Well, that's so good. so I you know, selling my kids piss is not something I've I've seriously considered. Until you watch this? Yeah, I'm, it might be there now. College fund. Oh man, that's let that let their their pee will get them through college. That's that's amazing. Um the contraption uh leaves a lot to be to be desired, I would I would say. <laughs> <laughs> that bit in the movie just we'll get there we'll get there we'll go over it uh, so we're at the farm yes we got here we, somehow we got there besides having one windshield wiper on the wrong side <laughs> yes why, why, why are they we're in the truck? middle of a gale <laughs> well and that's that's the thing because I've I've only been like really stoned a couple of times in my life, but what I what I appreciate so much about this movie is 
the hyperbolic way they approach everything. The, the, it's not a rainstorm. It's a gale. Like everything is like brought up to these like crazy circumstances. Everything's dramatic. And I think, and honestly, I feel like I can kind of relate to Marwood in that way. I, I have struggled with anxiety like forever. Yeah. And so like the, the panic of being out in that kind of weather. Like it is a gale. Like I had a friend the other, the other week that was like, Liz, you're so dramatic. And I said, I know, I know that about myself. <laughs> I don't think Marwood knew that about himself, but like it, his, his anxiety and his like ramping things up to way bigger of a deal. Like, Oh, we need firewood. We yes. need, we're going to starve. We've, you know, we've done this and this. And then with Neil's belligerent, drunkness is yeah. just like the perfect storm of combinations. And I oh, love it. Um, there's also, I think I noticed there was one headlight out too on the car, yes. which was nice. Yeah. That's there's a-, a story about the car. Ian could tell it so much better than I did. Apparently this car was in really good shape up until they borrowed it from the owner for <laughs> filming. Now I did not have time to look this up. Um, and it got hit or something just shortly before, and that is why it looks the way it did. That was like not a planned thing. But like that's that's the thing too. I like about it though is it's like it's a Jaguar that's not been taken care of. Mm-hmm. And again, it feels it feels right for these people, right? I mean, they could have some, like a shitty Puget or something, right? Like something that just like yeah, whatever. You know, it's gonna get it from like point. It in. wasn't a perfect condition car when no. they were gonna rent it. Like it was definitely low ball but it wasn't as bad yeah. as it was in the movie and i think the headlight was one of those things that it, it happened i but it's a great happy accident but it's I, but, so good yeah it's just one of those other little things it's like it's like the piece of pie yes exactly you can't you can't plan you that need stuff. it you, need, you it. need it um so yeah they they, they get there and it's it, of course it's you know it's really old and again we get more hyper you know we'll be we'll be found here we'll be found dead in here next spring and everything's everything's terrible they're breaking the furniture to make a fire and marwood's trying to make a plan and yeah yeah everybody's got their you know they've both got their duties and stuff and um and uh i i i couldn't help but also i got a little i got a little smile out of the um the uh I, the something about the stars in Indiana, <laughs> which was just very funny to me because you know I spent I got spent three me- three years of my life in in Indiana, um, and the fact that this random movie I'd never seen before happens to have a song <laughs> with this, talking about <laughs> Indiana in it was I gotta say the music because there's like there's the Jimi Hendrix there's some other stuff that gets played and then there's actually that that um that original music that I love plays. It. Which almost feels like you're at some kind of like crazy carnival somewhere. Yes, like I, I mean, when you turn on the the, the Blu-ray, yes, it's playing. It, it's doing that, yep. and it's so, yeah, carnival music. That's a, like a merry-go-round. Yes, it's yeah. like the perfect kind of music for that. Um, I love the time at the farm. I think some of the the shots out there in the country are some of oh, those beautiful, yeah, especially in the restorated version. Like, you oh, don't how have we not that. talked about that? Um. I, and I and I especially in our earlier episodes when when we'd always shout out Criterion and and you know Ian would talk about the restorations, I would always I'd agree, but e- even if I hadn't seen the version that he had, my the the best example I have is when we did a Matter of Life and Death. I did not see the Criterion version first, and then I had I was like oh fuck it, way better. But I always love watching the special features 
because it's always they're always like retrospectives and they're always of the quality of what the film was when it mm-hmm. came out. And when you watch the making of and you see what it looked like, you it's like, holy shit, I don't think I could have watched that. And that's the thing, though. We have to remember, like, we have grown up pretty spoiled. Yes. Like, and and so it makes you wonder, like, that's that was just normal. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you watch that. I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't be able to. Yeah. We're spoiled rotten. We are. We are. But I also don't think, I wonder if people care enough. I mean, outside of like film Twitter, film nerds, like if people, your average person who just wants to watch no, a movie. No, they don't care. That's, yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it drives me nuts. Yeah. <laughs> I used to be one of those people. And then I met Ian. And now I can't. Like someone, I'm, I'm not going to name names here because uh, they're a good it. friend. But sure. someone messed with my TV setting shortly after oh, Ian passed away. No. And it was so bad to where... I had to call them back the next day and have them come fix it. Mm-mm. There was a reason it was the way it was. Mm. And um, not their fault. They were just trying to fix something that they noticed that I never noticed <laughs> um, that drove them nuts. But there, you know, there's a reason there's a plasma still in the bedroom because it just looks, it's, you know, yeah, it's a fire hazard and burns in like an etch sketch if you leave it on for less than two minutes. Sure. But um, yeah, no, this, but those this blacks are black. That was the thing about plasmas. Mm, so black. Um, <laughs> I'm thus really ends, get excited. I, thus I'm ends our nerd. restoration and corner. And I like that at the beginning of this this copy, you, you get to they tell you what they did, and they, I, and I love that. Yeah, me too. You me don't too. see that a lot. You don't like sometimes they'll just turn it on, and you're just expected. To, people would assume that this is how it's always been. They don't get to yeah. read about how much went into it. And yeah. this one, there was so much love that went into it. Yeah, I'm, it's it's I I know there's been a few instances where I've had like an, an old DVD cop and copy of something doesn't even matter what it is and then some label or some some company will will put it will reissue it and then i'll watch it and and it's it is crazy to see the work that goes into it um actually i know uh, i think i mentioned a little bit in a previous episode but on lawrence of arabia I, i remember watching this on vhs i remember watching lawrence of arabia on vhs on my fucking 17 inch tube tv right and then watching it again on on 4k on this tv i was like I know it's not seen it in 70 millimeter, you know, but like, holy shit. Like, which was really good. Shut up. I know. I talked about it in the episode. I know you did. (laughs) Um, I had to rub it in a little bit. (laughs) God damn it. Um, Twist that knife just slightly. Question. Have you ever had to kill a live chicken? Okay. No, but (laughs) growing up, I had my mom and I, when we moved out here, um, we kind of formed our own family because we didn't have any family up here. Sure. Um, and she met this group of gals, which she is still friends with to this day. Um, they're my aunts and, 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 um, one of them was Monica and aunt Monica. I used to beg her to tell the story of killing a chicken and how it didn't die right away. And how she just had to keep swinging it around and swinging it around. (laughs) And, and so this, when I saw this movie, it just it just brought back that story. There's just so many. It's the fact that, well, first of all, great acting by the chicken. Chicken stayed right where it needed to stay. It's so good. I was very pleased with it. You know, there's a there's the old saying, you don't act with kids or animals because they upstage you. And I thought the chicken did a pretty good job of, of not trying to upstage them the right amount of attention. Um, but the, the, the trying to shove the chicken into the kettle and then propping it up in the thing 
was both of those as as images as things that you you see in a movie were I mean were just were just hysterical. And it's not even completely deep. Oh, deep yeah, 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 no, and I just love it. Like the, the you know like would. They first get it. They're just sitting there staring at it. And he's like, with Nils, like, well, what are we supposed to do with that? And Marwood's like, eat it. And he's like, eat it. The fucker's alive. <laughs> and just go back and forth. And it's just like, that's just so, oh, gross, but great. And it's such a gag. Yeah. The chicken just. I Oh, yeah. And especially when they put it in after the boots have been in the oven. Like, so gross. <laughs> like, the, just the, you think about it. Like, oh, man. That flavor. Um, Oh, God. And so then we've got, so, yeah, then they're, so, you know, the, it's rough. They're trying to get firewood and food and the, the old lady doesn't want to give it to them. And then they, they get the chicken and everything. And, um, and I have to say right, right here, oh. the farmer is one underrated <laughs> character. I love the farmer, like the whole thing. Like, well, what's wrong with your leg? I got a Randy Bull. Look <laughs> like, how that comes back into play later on. And it's so, and like oh. they try and insult him for like his heirs. And then like there's the hair, mm-hmm. hair, here. Hair, hair, here. Hair, here, hair, hair, hair. Here. yeah. Um, and then, well, I guess, and I, I took a note here. So I, it, you know, cause we're kind of going chronologically through it, but what do we think of the narration in here? I, cause I, 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 I think it's applicable and it works because obviously, you know, it's it's alluded to that Marwood is writing down his thoughts. He doesn't write poetry, but he just writes down his thoughts. And that that's kind of what we're getting throughout. And it, there's not a lot of the narration throughout. Um, but I don't know. What do you what do you think of it in general in the movie? I like it. I think it, it brings you I think it, it shows they, they, they don't use it so infrequently. Like yeah. I'm not a huge fan of narration in a movie. Um, I think it can get too much or too little, like to the point where what's the point? Yeah. I think here it's like the perfect balance. Yeah. It just shows you where Marwood is at in, yeah. in, in that moment and where they're at and it's brief. And then it just, and it, it's seamless. Well, and I, I took this note here right around the time, um, after the incident with the, the bowl that gets through the gate. And I don't think I took another note on narration. Cause I wonder, I don't know if it really comes back into play much later into the film. That's a good question. Um, but, but anyway, I just, I, you know, I just wrote it down. I was like, you know, I wonder, but I always, you know, it wasn't until very recently that I realized that the narration works in Goodfellas, because if you want to look at it in a certain way, it's like, he's on, he's been on the stand the entire time. And this is just his, like his, um, uh, not his confession, but like it's, it's him. His explanation. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's on the stand. He's giving his reasons as to why he did what he did. Um, so like if there's like somebody's a writer or somebody's doing something like it, like they made it work for this. I don't think it's bad, and I do, it is it's it doesn't bombard the movie at no. all. Um, so then they they trick uh, the the guy who owns the pub into giving them a free drink because they pretend to be in the army, and then we meet the guy who has the eel and the pheasants, and they don't want to pay him. And we get another week after they get kicked out of the bar, we get another pomp of with now I'm gonna be a star, and he's out on the countryside just screaming it. Um, and then we get another great little kind of visual comedy moment where they're trying to shoot fish. I love that. I love that the coat has been tied up <laughs> yes. and pulled to the sides and wrapped around. And and it, it, that coat just gets... It, that coat's famous. That coat... I would say that coat is with now. Absolutely. And if, and if I can for a moment, I... I So the, the person who created the coat still does custom ones. Oh. 
and I had planned to get oh Ian one for Christmas, but instead, um, they're very expensive. <laughs> but um, I'm gonna get that for myself for I'm, Christmas, and I'm nice. very excited about it because you have to like send in your measurements. Like she's very strict; she, she only like makes a... them in like certain sizes. Yeah. Um, so I had found it years ago, and <laughs> I can't wait. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I there's there's nothing that screams more. I don't know how to fish than trying to shoot fish. I thought that was I just. Again, and we've got this, we've had these moments of like the written word being funny, right? To then cut to this moment of him trying to kill a fish with a gun. I just thought it was, I just thought it was like, what are you doing? This is like, like the most, like the most, um, I don't know, I guess like drug, drug addled brains in the sixties trying to get a fish. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I love the, and, and, and we just need to stop and talk for a second that Richard E. Grant is, is a, he doesn't drink alcohol yeah. he's got a slight allergy to it in yep. fact he he's not even a smoker yeah and and he i guess he got drunk once yeah during this with like pepsi and vodka and uh it was it was bruce robinson and somebody else i don't know if it was paul, paul mcgann, McGann. It, it was, was okay okay yeah and 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 how i guess robinson was like you should gotta remember this and and even during an interview he gave he, he people ask him all the time you know how you get drunk and he's like it's easy and he just instantly within that click of the interview, he's got his eyes torn and he's just, you know, he does it. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, and it's one of those things. It's one of those like beginning acting things where, you know, you play drunk, everybody goes and tries to do too much at once. Mm -hmm. And the thing about playing drunk is that you've got to stick to the one thing, right? You either, you either can't walk right or you, or you're slurring your words or something. Right. But if you do all of it, it comes across as caricature ish. Right. And he gets to do both. There are moments where he's doing both. For him, though, it's the way that he delivers lines, and I, I, I don't. We're not quite there yet in the moment when they go to the cake shop in Penrith. The way that they're both talking is like, yes, I totally buy it. They're like, you know, they're not quite. They're, it's like they can't quite enunciate it enough. It's just like they're just, you know, five, they five wise. They, they think that they're suitable for yes. public. Um, and 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 yeah, and it's, you know. Richard E. Grant, I think, came came to uh, he got to revel in his Academy Award nomination a few years ago for "Can You Ever Forgive Me?" Um, but he's been all over the place in a lot of things and always just kind of nails it in the background. And um, man, I don't know, I don't know if like the the next movie he did with B- Bruce Robinson kind of knocked him down a peg or something. But like, I don't think there's enough mainstream. Richard E. Grant. Yeah. No, yeah. there's not. And he's so great yeah. in everything he does. I have not, I've yet to see him in something where I'm like, you know, for, uh, I could have done better. A couple of years ago when we did Nashville on the, on the pod, I watched Gosford Park for it. And, um, I, I totally, for, A, I forgot he was in it because that cast is just huge. Packed. But like, he, again, he does, he nails what he needs to do so well. And so many people are in it who are, either doing too much or kind of forgettable. Like, you know, Ryan Phillippe is doing too much. Um, uh, Emily Watson's kind of not doing enough, maybe, you know. Yeah. But like, but he's like, he's just smarmy enough and just cares enough. And it's just, he's he's going back and forth just the right amount. He's so balanced yeah. in what he does in everything I've seen him. And he's just perfect. Yeah. He, if, if you were tracing a line, that would be him. He'd be the pencil. <laughs> he's got it. Um, and so now we've gotten to, you know, they, they've offended the guy in the bar 
who has the eel. That's the farmer. Yeah. Oh, no, no, that's not the farmer. That's a different person. No, it's not the farmer. You're right. Sorry. The guy in the bar with the eel and the pheasants, that's who they want. They want to buy. And he's like, I'm going to come visit you. And I lost my my train. Oh, no, 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 no. That's fine. Um, But like, and so it's like, it's the next night and they're, they're fucking paranoid. And they keep hearing the sounds and like, he's going to fucking kill us. And like, you know, he's, he's, and like, there's the line where Wynne goes, he's going into your room, offer yourself. (laughs) And then when Monty opens the door again, like, this is where Ian would have to do this because he would just say, Monty, you terrible cunt. And it's just like, oh my God. It was just so, it's so great. It's just so fucking funny. Um, and then there's these well, and it's great too, because there's we get a lot of allusions to very famous uh famous British actors. They reference John Gilgood and, and Redgrave and um but the idea of the boys signing on at the labor exchange is like it, like it like baffles Monty. He doesn't even know what to do with the fact that these these two young men are having to sign on to get money from the the government. Yeah, that's and I don't I don't think that the movie is trying to make like a lot of things. It's not trying to make an obvious remark on class necessarily, but it's great because it does kind of shine through here. So I think that scene where he finds the checks. Are we there? Oh, well, I was talking about with Monty um, in the cabin where he goes like, we're gonna need, we need to go back so we can sign on. And he's like, to the labor exchange. He's like, yeah, we have to do that. Are you talking about when Danny has the checks in the bag? Yeah, we're skipping. Sorry. No, that's I a, just no, that's phased. okay. Yeah, that, we'll get there. Um, I love Monty showing up to the cabin. I love that there's the two different reactions. There's the Monty, you terrible kind, but then there's also Monty, Monty. Yeah. Like, as he's, because he's always like, boys, 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 I'm so sorry. And it's just like, I the two, it's like Withnail is is relieved, and, and and Marwood is just like, "Fuck you." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so so we get to the next day, and and you know that Monty realizes the guys don't have any boots, so he's gonna take them into town, and they go into town, and uh, they don't go get boots, they get trashed, and then they go to the cake place, and I forget, I think what makes the I, I totally forgot this at the beginning, where, but when he goes, we want the finest wines available to humanity, I forget that before that he exclaims, balls. <laughs> we'll put a jukebox in here. <laughs> Anybody who, who goes to make a declarative statement, it starts with balls. And apparently the laughing was not supposed to take place. There was something going on with one of the women's dogs. Oh, yes, that's and right. And he I was did. laughing and he couldn't stop laughing. And finally Robinson was like, I'm just going to keep it in. And it works. Exactly. Yeah. It's just another happy act. This film has so it, many little tiny happy accidents that it's, it was just magical. And you got to keep it. Yes. You have to keep it. Um, So I guess I don't, I don't know. I This, this might be, you know like tightrope territory here, but all the stuff with Monty coming into the room with Marwood and like really like cor- literally cornering him and trying to and he's like, also put stage makeup on. Yes. Uh, yes. That's a, and, and, and I don't, I'm not trying to skip over, but like, you know, they're, they're, they're drinking, they're playing cards and like Marwood is like, I'm staying in the room with the lock. I'm not like, basically like, I don't, because Marwood's not oblivious to what's going on. Yeah. He, Monty is point. making some pretty clear passes at him. And then Withnell gets fucking just hammered beyond recognition. 
and takes the room with the lock and that it doesn't go the way that mm-hmm. Marvel wants it to go. Um, but like, I, it's so it's tough because we get this moment where it basically comes out that uh, Withnail has told Monty that Marwood is is um, gay. Yeah, and um, I think this scene when I first watched the movie, it was super funny to me. Because you're su- you're on this funny train, yes. right? You're laughing, you're laughing, you're laughing. But um, now it just makes me uncomfortable. This is the 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 roughest five minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. It and and it hasn't aged well. How he's talking about like uh, a even toilet trader. Yeah, that and how you know even if he has to you know uh, what's the word he uses? He's like I I. Even if I have to, basically, even if I have to take you by force, yes. I'm going to do this. I know you're not asleep, boy. I got some real um, Frank as the um, the troll in The Nightman Cometh. Of, oh it's always God. sunny Philadelphia vibes here. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like like strong, strong vibes. Boy. <laughs> I know you're not asleep, boy. <laughs> like, that's just. I couldn't help. I totally. No, I'm, and it's true. And it hasn't. Oh, my God. Well. He asked him, are you a sponge or a stone? stone. Ho, oh, I don't. And here's the thing. I hear that line. I have some rough guesses what that could mean, but the fact, but it doesn't even matter. Like the way that it's asked, like, and that's the thing, like, like, you know, Richard as actors, Paul McGann and Richard Griffiths are owning the scene. Like it gets and like, you can see Paul McGann playing Marwood, like thinking on his feet and be like, no, 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 no. I'm, I, I'm in a relationship with, with nail and he, it would kill him if I did this. And like, he can't admit it to you or yeah, any, he can't exactly. even admit it to himself. Yeah. Like that's just like, I mean, that's your out Yeah, there. I can't like, I think, I think there's humor in the scene and I think it was supposed to be funny. Yeah. I do, I, but it has not aged. No. Well. And, 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 and I mean, this movie's as old as we are. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's, and, and it, it's funny and this might be the, the, a weird comparison, but I think it's applicable. It's the way that I think when I think of wedding crashers and I think of, Todd, it's like, like Todd has not aged well. Mm-mm. Todd is there for one specific purpose. And when you watch that movie now, it's like, man, because I, 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 I think as a whole, I think Whiting Crashers is still funny. But like, you can't erase the fact that Todd is a character in the movie and he's there because he's the the gay artistic son of... um. Christopher Walken, right? And I think I think that's the this is totally off subject, but I think can't you yeah, we now can say this isn't cool. Yeah. This sucks. Ten years ago, fifteen years ago. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't do that. But it's hard to remove yourself now from the film at the time. It, and it's it's, yeah. it's it's a it's never ending battle because if you went through there's Hundreds and thousands and millions of films that are going to have something like this in it. Oh, of course. And you can't sit there and say, "We got to get rid of these yeah. just because of this one." Yeah, you can't do that. No, no, it's it's tough. It, but like, and that's the thing is, it's like I I don't. Um, I mean, of course. Sorry, I, I wasn't like, trying to get on. Soapbox no, there, no, but it's not like, at all. This is difficult to talk about because it's like at the time when I first watched this film, I thought that funny. Yeah. Now no, I don't. No, it's exactly. I, I think I don't. I don't know. I th- actually I think it was on our the American Graffiti episode. I just it's like American Pie. Like, 
That, I think that movie as a, as a, as a high school movie about like guys doing what they're going to do. Sure. 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 But like, then there's the naughtiest stuff in the bedroom. It's like, you can't erase the fact that they filmed this girl <laughs> undressing on the internet. Like, yeah, you can't, you can't get past that. Um, so like, yeah, this scene difficult, regrettable, but you know, it, it's, and it's also a very small chunk of the, of movie. the movie. Yeah. And I don't think it should take away from yeah anything. I think it was, I think it was written to be funny. I think at the time it probably was funny. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it was too. And, and you know, it, it, yeah, it because is what it is, it is. It's the one, I think it's the one bit of this, but this film's pretty timeless, but it's, it's just that one bit that just hasn't aged as well it's like the end bit of the cheese you know it's gonna get drier than the rest <laughs> i like that i that, that's perfect um so then so then yeah so monty leaves because he's I, probably embarrassed super embarrassed and um and they're still there and we find out that marwood um he's like a gallback or something yeah he get, he get, and and you can again you can see it from with now he doesn't want to leave because he needs at least an hour for lunch with that, when they cut to him in the car, he's got the plate of food and the wine. I'm like, that's again, it's a great visual cut. Like we we clearly didn't didn't wait the and hour. Then you have the I'm so tired, and then the next click, and it's him in the back waking up. And I, again, I love that Jimi Hendrix cut. That Jimi Hendrix cut. The I'm making time. I'm making time. That has I have said that, and I think Ian said that. So much driving up here to see you at Adam, because you know if I show up on time. There's something wrong. Are we in agreement with this? <laughs> Melissa, the last time I was here, if you showed up on time, I wouldn't know what to do because I wouldn't be ready. Like, <laughs> try as we might, there was just something about coming to see you and you and Melissa that just didn't, never on time, almost always hung over, not by purpose. It was always, we're going to go to bed. We're seeing Adam, Melissa, and the girls tomorrow. No, wait. But the, and then we would show up. When you came with your shark coochie board, you guys weren't hungover. You seemed, you were totally here. That was you, a good day. That was a good day. That was a solid, you, you, you would, you would come up with witty puns for cheeses. Like that was. We were planning that night. That was those. great. I, we really appreciated that. I gotta say, um, on our, and you were the first to, to be out on our new patio. You were, I know. You christened it. With so our, that your, was the good day. We showed up on time. I think we were 15 minutes late, but you know. I felt like we were so, we, we were probably cleaned and still. We are like, we got time. Anyways, the making time thing is huge. And then the police officer. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> Get in the back of the van. <laughs> oh, God. So I he has his so own. Apparently, he's got his own little cult following. People love that. Like, just that one bit so much. It is his only line. It is his only line, but it is a big deal to people that are really. I mean, they do pilgrimage out to the country. Yeah. This house was bought actually in 2009. So it had originally gone to auction a couple of years prior. It was supposed to be bought up by some fans. Someone bought it. They gave up on it. And then the person who whose bid was outbid swoop up and, and bought the house. Nice. Not disclosed amount. Nice. Um, but the get in the back of the van is just. I, I, I remember that when I was, I was, I was taking note on something else and I, I, I like it, it drew my attention up and I was, I, I was like, what happened? It was the only time in the first few I rewound it because I was like, did I miss something? And that's the thing. You didn't. You didn't at all. I mean, yeah, he's drunk. He's gotten pulled over. He doesn't have a license. He's refusing to take a very old breathalyzer test. Oh, yeah. And, the bag. Yeah. And it's just like that cop wasn't having it that day. No. And I love that. I love that that cop expresses, I've had a long ass shift. 
I don't have time for your bullshit. You're the 10th drunk driver I've pulled over on this yeah. this, this byway today. <laughs> and it's nine in the morning and I'm done. Or it's like 12, in the, you know, and it's just everything. All of that is expressed in that one line. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, we get the, the funny bit where <laughs> with no can't get the piss thing to work. The, the, it, the fact that he just leans onto the wall and it just keeps and he's just like he's still got like a smile on his face is just like well because it's like I, I, he, I, he, it's like God, I can't even think of a good like he knows he's been caught but he can't stop it from what it's doing so it's like fuck it alright I'm gonna let this thing it's run okay. out until it's done um, and so then they go back and we rediscover that uh, Danny is there with um, pr- presuming Ed Yes. That's the name? Yes. What a name. And That's great. How how else to find that someone's in your house than walking in on them naked in your tub? Yeah. And in your and they don't even say anything. There's just like a look ca- of like Yep. And then the bedroom, get up, get out cuz I want to get in. Yeah. And it's like it's not even get out because you're in my house and you're loitering or <laughs> you're you're in my bed and I want to be in my bed. The the is it the Camberwell carrot? Camberwell carrot. Um, that so, thing was epic. So one of the members of staff yep. rolled it. Um, it was filled with um, herbal tobacco. Um, Which I have I've had to do on stage before. Smoke that. And once again, another classic Ian quote. This will tend to make you very high. Um, it, because every time we'd smoke weed, that would happen um, without, <laughs> which frequently. Um, sorry, mom, dad. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, and then, I mean, this this scene is really about how it, it gets really, it gets very real for Marwood. Um, you know, Danny has the checks, but there's basically an eviction notice there. And in the, in the midst of all that, he found out that he didn't get that one part. He got a better part he in got this the, play. He got the lead. Yeah. And and I think this is a, I mean, this is one of those, you know, it's a fork in the road moment of life. And I could stay with, with Nail and keep doing the same shit I've been doing, or we can get this hard cut. And, to- I, and I think this last time around, I really clicked with me that, they're sitting there and he comes in and they've all been smoking and mm-hmm. he says, I've got the lead. I got a better part. And with goes good for you. But it's like, it's almost sadness or is he high? You know, you have that question, yeah. but then the proceedings of that, like the, what is, um, presuming, presuming doing, oh, the he's, he's um, and like spinning the thing. And yeah. then you have with laughing hysterically yeah. and Danny just not shutting up. And you can just see it. I think in that moment, I think in that moment, that's when Mara goes, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Like, th- like he comes in completely sober from this situation. And then when he'd only had one hit and he's like, I've got the fear, give me something to calm me down. But I don't think that's it. I think he's just genuinely having an, a panic attack. I, I agree. I agree. I, I think it, the, 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 his present circumstances of like, you know, f- facing a potential eviction and these three people who he probably barely recognizes in the moment versus this, you know, again, we, if we know anything about Withnell and Marwood, we know that they're actors. I mean, they keep talking about it and we see the continual struggle of Withnell with his agent and calling and stuff and it's not going well. 
and then but with Marwood, he's gotten the telegram and he needs to go back and oh no, it's not for this one role, it's for the lead. And yeah, it's he decides to leave, which is the right decision for him, but obviously devastating to Withnail. And and we, we alluded to this earlier, but yeah, the way that which he's I, I stole the wine, it's the finest of the year, and no, mm-hmm. I don't want it, and I'll walk with you and And then just to back up a little bit the the fact that Danny was gonna steal their their checks yeah these things that they need to live on that that in combi- combination with that scene with the, the the drumming and the humming and the, the laughter and that that it it's so much if you have the volume up loud enough on the movie that it's it's a lot it's inducing yeah absolutely um and then yeah and then we get we get to the end and we get um i i think it's i think for the film it, it's trimmed a little bit but we get the um you know, we get the uh, Hamlet, the Hamlet speech. Yeah, two, scene. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's Act Two, Scene Two. Scene um, two. And he's talking to if you, if you he's talking to Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, um, which is a great play. We have the. Excuse me, I have the. I got Ian a cutout, and I'll I'll share pictures when we post this episode. But it's the, it's, it's the with now with the umbrella. Ah. Uh, and it's him over a fence, and it's got that whole scene yeah. written out. Um, which is, you know, it's, I will say of the four or five really famous speeches from Hamlet, this is one that's probably not done as much. The, what a piece of work is man. Um, uh, I have it here. I have, I have it late, late, but wherefore I know I must all my mirth. And indeed, it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame the earth seems to me a sterile promontory. The most excellent canopy, the air. Look you, this brave or hanging firmament, this majestical roof fretted with golden fire. Why, it appeareth nothing to me but a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculties, how like an angel in apprehension. How like a god. The beauty of the world. Pagan of animals. And yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me. No, no women neither. No women neither. Uh, in one of the things I had read, in sort of praising the movie, they talked, or I think it might have been Ebert's review. I didn't read it. Um, he talks about what this movie got right is that ha- Hamlet is talking about himself. Um, ma- uh, what a piece of work is man. You know, man delights me not. It's 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 not, Hamlet's not talking about human the kind. Yeah, it's yeah. it's himself. And fun fact, not to bring it up, but you doing that, it, when Ian and I first started, after this movie had come out, we were talking about Shakespeare because I was really into Shakespeare. And he just blasted off with that in the, what we call the beast room, which is this machine it pulled clothes out of. But uh, he did the whole thing yeah. without even a blip. Well, and, and was, I was very impressed. I didn't know it's because he'd seen this movie so sure. many times, but very well, we, impressed. And I remember him, one of the last times we talked about this movie, he mentioned that it ended with a Hamlet speech. And... And there's there's a bunch. There, I mean, there are I mean there are four or five really famous 
Hamlet monologues. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know which one it was. And I couldn't help in my mind to go to to be or not to be because that that is probably the most famous soliloquy of all time. Yes. And uh, one that I worked on when I was in grad school. And when uh, what a piece of work is man or what a piece of work of man is. I might screw that up. Um, I I was surprised and I was like, oh, great. It's not it's not the one I thought it was going to be. He does his piece and, and, and we have the moment with with nail. And then I, you know. Because I, I I worked on to be or not to be in grad school with with somebody who works at a, a Shakespeare festival and the the Hamlet the Hamlet of it all runs deep through the movie too playing the Dane and and doing the speech and when I kind of revisited the piece to be or not to be um it it really it was another wave of of you know, I don't, I don't want to necessarily just air this out, but like it was another wave of grief of dealing with it because of what to be or not to be is about what that, what that soliloquy is about. And, um, we don't have to get specific with the, with the movie, but of what one of the endings was supposed to be. Yeah. I, I, I did not know that. Yeah. Until I, very recently. And, I didn't um, either. Yeah. And and so, you know, the reason why I think beyond the fact that this movie was Ian's favorite movie of all time, and in that way alone, this movie would kind of stand up and 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 be important to me. But there's there are too many things that bring it back to make it hit home a a bit harder to make it a bit more real that this movie is very funny it's very silly and it and it it, it's it's a romp to kind of watch and then it also it just makes it very real and and it makes me it makes me miss my friend and uh and and I was thinking about this earlier today because I was kind of going through my notes and I was like, God, if I feel th- if I feel this way, it must be like a, a a a fraction of a percent of what you're going through. And I know we still have a few other things to do or whatever on the pod, but I, I just again I just want to say thank you for being on this episode and yeah. talking about this movie. Absolutely, I think it's one of those things. It's it was hard to watch. Um, but I look through it and there's so much like Melanie quoted this movie, you know, that makes you the, there's a, there's a point where you see that there's a, a wet floor or like mopping sign in the apartment after they get back. And that reminds me of a time that him and Josh, his roommate at the time brought home a a cat's welcome sign from the apartments I now live in. They stole it off the side of the road and brought it home. I made him bring it back. It just went, for legal reasons, it got put back. You know, the you know the the poker, the playing with anything but money. We did that. Yeah. I don't remember specifically what we played with, but we didn't even have poker chips at the time. We we would play with random things, yeah. and it's just, um, I think the one thing I did want to bring up is the uh, is the drinking game. Ian always wanted to play the drinking game, and uh, I said no, so much. <laughs> Mainly because I care about my health just a little bit. Um, I might do it in some form someday, but not 
not not like that yeah i can't do that well and and too old <laughs> that well okay hold on let me okay let's yeah. I, I i was gonna go deep again but i don't want to do it yet um so we talk about favorite scenes or shots and i'm wondering if what if there's a moment or a scene or whatever that like is the the moment for you in the movie honestly a throwaway moment is when um the morning when they wake up in the country in the cabin yeah and marwood goes out to look Mm -hmm. and then he's like he's just got his jacket on and his boots Mm -hmm. and he just gazes over that beautiful valley yeah it's gorgeous it's i don't know it it hits me it hits me harder now um it makes me tear up and it's so beautiful and i don't know it's such a simple calm moment in this movie full of chaos no it's and i just adore i I could watch. I just that shot's like a screensaver to me. Oh, totally! It's it's a gorgeous shot, and and you're right. It's a moment of calm in a movie that is very frenetic throughout. Um, I actually that was my in terms of like single shot. I think that was my favorite shot of the movie too. And and again, I'm very basic. I I love I the payoff of the last monologue is is my favorite scene. I just think it's they the the plant of it with Monty saying you know when you realize you're not going to play the Dane and what that means and him him doing it was just i thought great storytelling if i had to pick like moment. a favorite scene it's gotta be the kitchen i love that scene <laughs> that's so, it's a great scene so, i know it's it's a lot of people's favorite scene and i'm just gonna be a basic with no fan yeah and it's just so damn good how could you but the shot that sh- and just that brief minute before it's just oh it's so hilarious good. so good um i will not even Ralph Brown as Danny is my as my unsung hero, and I'm wondering if if who you're if if you have an unsung hero. Farmer. <laughs> That's so great. I love the farmer. <laughs> the chicken thing, the chicken bit is just so. Mike, Michael, Mike, Michael Wardle plays yeah. Farmer Isaac Parkin. I love it. The the thing with the, the thing on his leg, you can't miss him. It's got polyurethane on his leg, you can't miss him. Just gonna yell, yell, and run at him. Shut that gate! Like it's just so good. It I underrated little. He plays a role, but it's just so minor. Yeah. But he's just so like how they're like we're not from London. And he's like yeah you are, and that's why he drops off the live chicken. He could have killed that chicken. Yeah. They, no. Yeah, I'm gonna make you do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess bef- before we before I ask the question that we both I already know the answer to. Um, is there anything? that you haven't said about with Nell and I that you would like to say? Oh, it's just a damn good fucking movie. Yeah. And if you don't like it, there's something seriously wrong with you. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not my friend. Not a f- <laughs> we can't be friends. And you know, you have your barometer. So, so there you go. This, this is a hard line for me. There like I is. don't have a lot of those. Like I'll forgive you for a lot of things. <laughs> You don't like Pulp Fiction? Okay, we'll talk about it later. I'll hit uh, you up in two or three more watches. You don't like Goodfellas? That might, that'd be my, my, that's my hard line. It's you don't like Fiction. The Departed? Okay, we'll, we'll, we can work on that. But if you don't like this on the first watch in some way, shape, or form, go yeah. fuck yourself. So I'll, I'll just ask it just so I can get on the record. Liz, <laughs> do you think that With Nell and I should be in the book? Absolutely not. <laughs> hard turn. Just kidding. Wow. Yes. Wow. Yes. I think it should be in the book. I think it should stay in the book. If it ever gets knocked out of the book, I'll burn it. That, that's well. And you know, I, 
I, I really thought this after the second watch too, which is there isn't stuff like this in the book. No. And I don't just mean like there aren't a lot of comedies in the book, but like this is such a a quirky, interesting, plotless. And you know it's just in the book because it has such a weird cult following. Yeah. But like, and but most cult movies are just bad movies. I'm sorry. I know. I, I think I. I don't know if it still is, but I, at one point, Rocky Horror was in the book, which is a cult movie, but it's not good. It's it's not good. It's fun. I certainly it's get fun. a kick out of out of watching it when it when it's on. But like, come on, what are we doing here? Like space transvestites. Like what what is this movie? What are we doing? I think Rocky <laughs> Horror has things about it that are monumental to, yes. to the LGBTQ plus community, oh, which course. I 100% support. I yeah. loved that growing up. I still love the songs. Oh, I can do too. the time warp. But oh, is course. it a good movie? <laughs> like, objectively a good movie. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's not. Is it a pulp culture icon movie? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. With Nail, it's just a cult movie. And yeah. it's a movie that's just loved especially by really annoying film students that just don't shower enough, (laughs) you know, but it's funny. It's good. I got such a, um, I mean, this really is, and you mentioned Pulp Fiction. This has such a, this is like what would happen in the, I know this is only 87, but like in the early early nineties in the U S the indie movement that would come, the Tarantino's, the Kevin Smith's, the Robert Rodriguez is like, this has that vibe. And I think, I, I mean, this sounds weird, but like, unfortunately, it didn't come out in the U.S. It came out in England, and it came out on a very small budget. And just and talk about going under the radar, under the radar. Yeah, um, that's what this movie did. And yeah. this is one of those ones that that you know over the years garnered more attention. But for the right, unlike Rocky Horror, I think for the right reasons. And it, I hate it to say it, around. but I think it, I think it gained more momentum in like the late '90s and early 2000s, and then it just and now. It's gone again. Yeah. I hope it resurfaces. I don't think it will, though. It worries me because it's. I like movies about nothing. Yeah. I, I have a soft spot for movies that are not like, we have to do this. Yeah. This is our object. I like human interest stories like more than anything. Like, I'm a sucker for them. And this is just one of the best ones out there, if not the best. And it's so good and so well written and timeless. And would just hate to see it disappear. So yeah. yes, I believe it belongs in the book, and it should. They wish they would let you vote. Honestly, yeah. that yeah. would be good. That would be. That would be. I know it's, it's just a, for ones that are on the on the on the cuff. Yeah. Um, let us decide. And and I and I'm so glad that that there is a a, a restoration of it because the era restoration is is great. And you and if you don't but like if you don't believe us like if you if you watch the making of and you see the original footage and then you watch the movie it is. It's beyond night and day, the difference in, in quality. Um, and I, I, of course, I obviously agree this should be in the book. It, it just fits a niche that the book doesn't do. I hope do. that's not just because I told you you weren't no, allowed no, no, to no, not no, like no, this movie. No, not that at all. I, I think there there aren't enough movies like this in the book. And and I think, and I and again, this makes me, this in a way, this makes me think of Pulp, or not Pulp Fiction, um, In Bruges. Um, quirky, there's more of a plot to In Bruges, but like quirky, fun darkly comic movies that and maybe that's just my sensibility and things that I enjoy but like I was bummed that I was bummed to realize that was ever in the book I thought it was at one point apparently it was not um but like this is such a great 
UK plotless, funny, great little gem to have in the book. Um, I, of course, think it should should be in the book. Um, <laughs> um, so, so and so Liz, should in Bruges. I yeah, I agree. We can get I on agree. that another time, but I I know that I know I oh, one of very few movies I actually saw in theater with with Ian. So of that one beyond just enjoying the movie as a soft spot. Um, so that that's what we think. Mm-hmm. Two yeses that it should be in the book. We we want to know what you think. You can find us on on Facebook and on Twitter. You can listen to us in all the places where you can get podcasts. Um, again, Liz, I just thank you so much for coming on to talk about not just any movie, but this movie uh, specifically. Thanks for having me. Oh, of course. I would not have done this with anybody else. Um, and, you know, I, I slightly hinted at this at the beginning. I don't, I don't know what the future of this show is. Um, I don't say that to be like dark and dreary. I just, I don't know. Um, it, it, it's been, wonderfully cathartic to do this but also every time weird yeah because you know it's just not uh it's not the show that we started i remember um i don't know if i've told this to you but i'll I'll just do it now on the pod um i i don't apparently have i don't think i've deleted a single text message from ian since we connected after closer when we all after i met you after Mm -hmm. the show and I was just, I, you know, would go through and scroll through and read stuff. And, um, and we, you know, we got together at the Linwood apartment once and to kind of like run through a trial run of like, could we do a pod? Could we fill time and stuff? And, yeah. and like you and Melissa constantly like, are you guys done? Can you like come inside now and, <laughs> and be a part of this gathering that we're doing? Um, but I remember, um, we were trying to f- finalize the, the format and stuff. And I, I, saw the text i think it was you came up with the name a thousand and one by one i think i helped yeah and and he sent it to the name to me and i remember being like oh yeah that's the name of the show that's great i remember and i was just so enthralled when i when i saw it and then obviously when i was rereading the text messages i was like that's the thing is like this isn't my show you know, this was our show and, and as much as I want to continue to, to do this, I mean, I, cause I asked you for other movies that he liked and you sent me that list and like I, part of me really wants to keep doing this and keep talking about the movies that he liked specifically, but I'm also like, I don't, I don't know. It just, it hasn't felt right. Life hasn't felt right. Yeah. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what this is going to be in the future. It might just be what it is. It might be these 130 episodes, um, which once Potomatic gets their fucking shit together, um, will all be back up again. Um, but, and, and if, if nothing else, this, this is some great, a great way to remind ourselves of who he was and what he liked and um, to hear him talk about things and to, to laugh. And, uh, and one thing we didn't say, the stop clock gives the right time twice a day. I, I think, I think I scrolled past it and just never, never went back up. Um, yeah. 
which which strikes me more now because I know you you tweeted that out. Um, so if nothing else, um, this is all, you know, a, a great legacy for Ian, and um, you know, we. We miss you. We love you. I, I, whenever I can stumble upon something that reminds me of you or, or like that picture I sent you the other day, anything, <laughs> any kind of a hidden gem, anything that I, I have, I'm, it, 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 I'm always, I always smile and yet I'm always sad. Um, but Ian, wherever you are, we, we love you. We miss you. Um, and I'm, I'm talking to only the one other person I would want to talk to about this movie with. So, <laughs> so. Um, and it, he's probably mortified at the lack of preparedness <laughs> that I did. No, you you said that beforehand, and I, you came in great. You knew all the shit. Um, so, one last time, um, uh, I'm Adam. This is a thousand of them, one by one, and uh, thank you for listening. And we'll see where we end up.